Welcome to the Lawless Living Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Orbach. In this podcast, we're going to be talking all about interior design, business, wellness, and sustainability. I founded Lawless Design, a sustainable interior design studio, and over the years, I've used my passion for wellness with my creativity of design and found that there's a huge correlation between them. I'm so excited to have you on this journey with me. This podcast is sponsored by Rise Superfoods. If you know anything about me, you know that I am obsessed with matcha, have it every day. And so I've lately been having their matcha and their mushroom coffee blend. And so instead of just having typical coffee and matcha, this uses a blend of six different mushrooms that they have. And personally, I'm a huge fan of the flavor of matcha that they have. It's ceremonial grade. It's really high quality. And what I like about their blends is that it doesn't give you a huge crash. It has a lot less caffeine and I feel like it just sustains your energy a lot better. So if you want 15% off your order, you can use the code Hannah 15 at checkout. And yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. So you guys are really going to love it. Scotty C. (laughs) (laughs) We're back here. Um, Highly, highly requested guests. My father, <laughs> Scott Cushman. Hello. <laughs> How you doing, sweetheart? Every week, Mike has been asking for you to come on. I just don't think he wants to hear me talk. Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> so, for today's episode, what I wanted to talk about, and what Mike really requested, is um, for us to talk about leadership. Sure. I think that's a big thing that. I have been really um, grateful for having you help me with mentoring about business and leadership. And I think just growing up, you know, I talk about how I got into the design industry because of you and kind of going through like working on the house together and stuff like that. But I think another big part of like wanting to start a business too was just seeing you and what you did with work and all that growing up where you want to start <laughs> you're, stuck. you're the leader so you've got yeah. right, do you want to okay so do you want to share with everyone kind of your background and like what you do now and sure you know um you know going back to the beginning you know i was kind of a typical kid going through high school and stuff like that <clears throat> and back when we were younger you know you kind of had two pathways you either were really you were going to college or you're going military in the trades um, hung with a group of people that, you know, you know, kind of pressure through peers that you, you felt like you had to go the college route. Um, really didn't excel in high school, really struggled <laughs> in high school, barely made it through, had enough grades to, to, um, plan sports, you know, and things along that kept it at that level. Uh, you know, went out to Westfield state, really didn't, you know, college wasn't a fit for me, you know, traditional learning and stuff. So I did after our first semester, I quit and I was dating your mom. My mother. Yeah. Since high school. And so, um, (laughs) I remember I was working at a package store and, uh, you know, your grandfather right now, but my future father-in-law pulled me aside and said, listen, if, uh, if you're going to be dating my daughter, you got to extend your education. And education was really important, um, to Ralph and he, uh, you know, being a teacher himself. So, um, 
you know, through some networking with friends and stuff like that, I decided to sign up for a tech school. One of those one-year tech schools got me into uh, the refrigeration end of the business and, you know, started a journey on going down um, being an HVAC mechanic. So, you know, worked a little bit of residential to start. Um, you know, did about, did about 10 years with my first company where you kind of just, you just kind of learn the trade and you went and you ran around with not much of a plan. Um, and then, and then I got a, I got my dream job. You know, I, I went after a job that was with the highest regarded company in the area where we worked at. And after 10 years experience, I thought I was really excellent and only took me about three days to figure out I was not that good. And um, they partnered me with a mentor that really taught me how to learn and, and how to read and to get deep into technical journals and, you know, started really building a, a, a background of credentials and things along that line. So... Um, Went to school at night, got my electrical license, went for my master license after that. And then, um, you know, spent about six years with that group, really excellent group of people. And, uh, and an opportunity came along to be a project manager, kind of set the tools down and come into the office. And that's with Kleberg, who I'm with now. How long has it been? Uh, since 2000, since 2001. That's crazy. I remember that. I mean, I was, what, nine at the time then? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's, it's time's gone by fast. So, so how, is your, how has your job role changed now since then? Well, you know, it was interesting because when we went in there, it was a startup company. Kleberg was, uh, was known for a sheet metal company for years. They were founded in 1958, and they were just a, a, a sheet metal subcontractor. And um, I was being brought into their design build team, which they had an engineer there who was growing a little niche bar business. It was uh, design build mechanical. And so I uh, went in, I think we're doing like $800,000 a year, which, yeah. you know, and uh, I was coming For how out, many people in the company? For that time, I think they had two other guy, two guys in the field busy. Okay. It was barely consistently. Yep. Bar barely, and so. Yeah, so it was about my first year. I remember being eight hundred thousand, and Ron was a salesman, the guy who recruited me, and um, we knew each other. He had subcontracted me when I was working in the field, and he kind of recruited me to come on board as his personal project manager, and. Um, yeah, and he, he had made a promise to the Klebergs that he could double the business within a short period of time. A promise he didn't tell me before he <laughs> no. hired me, so, so it was like that. So, yeah, we started off very small, so, yeah. Do you want me to continue? Sure, go for it. So, you know, after that, you know, and um, we quickly grew, and, um, you know. Did you double in that first year? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we crushed it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I remember, uh, you know, making, you know, you, you know, it was double the next year. And we continued to, uh, you know, the first three years was the hardest, you know, building the team, mm -hmm. um, getting momentum, and uh, getting our name out there. Because, 
it was we were recognized as a certain type of business so we were trying to share with customers no but we have the these added elements to the business so sometimes familiarity could be a little um can hold you back and so you know we grew from there um we continue to grow to now i think uh we're well over 30 million this year so you know it's yeah. it, it's the team's grown well that's that's 30 million for the mechanical side and then and you have the sheet metal we have the sheet metal division too yeah 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 so i think what a huge thing for me too is like as a young professional having you as a role model mm -hmm. for a manager i think was interesting when i started getting into the workforce and having jobs and comparing them to you and about how you manage people and I think what I really respect about you is you're such a people person and it's like with like leading a team and like with running a business you're always like caring about the people that work for you and I think that's a really rare thing like I don't think that that is super common and that's so why I was just sharing this story with um, someone the other day about when I was living in Philly and I was working my first job and after about a year I decided that I was gonna leave that job go to a new one and I remember I was terrified to go in and talk to my boss about it because her and I had really connected we were really close and um, I just valued her uh, so much as a person and a mentor and I remember you gave me some advice when I went in there and I remember I told her that I was getting uh, I was getting a new job up in Massachusetts. I was moving to be closer to family, you know, for certain reasons. And um, the first thing she turned to me and she looks at me and she goes, good for you. And I'll never forget that. And I was like, wow. And I remember sharing with you after I called you right after um, I quit. And I was like, she said, good for you. And you just turned to me and go, that's a really good boss. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's important, you know, there's a lot of cliches out there, you know, people say that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. That's that's one of the big ones that's out there. And it's a great thing to say, but I think that people will catch your actions more than than your statements. You can have all these signs up on the wall and motivational statements and stuff, but you know, it's history, you know, with people and you know, are you, you know, we'll call it integrity in the moment, you know, because it's, it's easy to sit there and say, hey, you know, good for you. Mm. But in the moment, you could be sitting there saying, wow, this is really going to set us back as a business. Sure. So I honestly want the best for people. It, it's something that um, I think, I think I saw it in my parents growing up. Um, it's kind of our family heritage and stuff like that. But if you want the best for people in those moments, that, then, then you'll see, you'll see that come through. And, you know, the reality is most of our jobs and everything, we're not saving people's lives, right? But we want their lives to be, um, something special so that they can go home and fulfill their dreams. Yeah. Right? So it's different for different people, you know, and we'll talk about that. You know, we have 200, 250 employees at, at the company at any time. And so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it where it's like, okay, 
Um, we, we're, we're not saving lives, but we have 250 employees here. So that means 250 families in the Western Mass community or Connecticut community. That means there's 250 families that are relying on us being really, really excellent so that they can go home and fulfill mm. their dreams. Could be the kids in hockey, it could be, you know, uh, it could be they want to travel, it could be they want a boat or, you know, build a family, send their kid to mm. private school, you know, and that statement comes out of a motivation that I had, um, you know, when I, you know, we were real young when we started a family, your mom and I. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, you know, it's daunting. It, it's overwhelming for a young couple because you sit there and go, how am I ever going to help put my children through college? Yeah. And it became a major goal for me. And, um, you know, some good fortune, hard work, um, people coming alongside me, mentoring me, you know, really looking to invest in my life and before you know it we were able to accomplish that task and that was a big personal goal for me is having you guys be able to have the pathway to education and it was something that we just didn't have it in our family when we were younger yeah so. yeah but I think a huge part about that too is like even you talk about like wanting to get that pathway to like put Zach and I through college and you know all that but at the same time you were present all the time like and and, and it's kind of crazy to me I look back and you know it it I think as a kid you can take things for granted and I think especially with our family and just like not only just the four of us but then our all of our extended family sure every single soccer game I had at least you and mom there. At minimum, there was someone at a soccer game or basketball game or whatever game between Zach and I. We had our grandparents there. We had our great grandparents. Aunt and uncles would come. Cousins. We had like our own cheering section, like for yeah. us when we would have games. And you never missed a game. And I think you know if there was a time where you weren't at my game, it was because you were at Zach's game and mom was at mine. Yeah. I was just talking about this this morning with Jimmy. Were so, you? <laughs> uh, so it's funny because, you know, we'll have to explain Jimmy something. Down the line. It's really important. He's to pretty have. much your uh, the the. <laughs> He's my brother from a different mother, right? Um, not you know, and Jimmy's just this uh, amazing friend. We talk every morning. Uh, worked together for years, and now he's working for another company, um, and. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, we are a couple guys that just uh, really care about each other because our values, our family values are so similar. So, um, yeah, you know, you had to be there. So the first thing for that to happen is have a company that can partner, par come alongside you in partnership in that, mm -hmm. in those values. So for me to be at every one of your games, um, was we it was just a you know it was important to me and it was important to my boss mm. you know Danny Kleberg and the Kleberg family his dad they were always great with that it's like get your work done and that's it so yeah. sometimes it was you know you're in the you're in the office I mean, I mean I've been in the office at four in the morning or whatever you know we got our work done but then we were able to 
walk out at two o'clock to be down the high school for two thirty yeah. for a game. You know, um, so you need both. You need to have the want to and understand the value of it because, you know, as different as your mom and I are, we're very very similar. We're really in alignment in raising you guys. Yeah. So that was important. Yeah. But, you know, I had other job opportunities that were out there, but none that valued family as much as working for the Klebers. Mm. And there were, and it's it's been, um, it's been really important in my career. Huge, huge. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you can you can just tell though the way that you interact with your coworkers and people that work for you, like you can just tell that it's like you want them to have that as well. Sure. And like have that family dynamic in life. Like even when we're, you know, like we'll be on vacation, you'll be like on a call or we'll be in the car like somewhere and you'll be taking a call and someone's on vacation. You're like, Hey, like take time with your family. And you always make note to, for people to have that. Yeah. Um, Well, it's, it's kind of hard to explain it without being emotional. So, and this is where Jimmy, again, Jimmy and I are similar. Um, neither one of us grew up with a full family. So when you didn't have that when you were younger, I, to me, I don't say that to everybody, but to me, I just had this amazing passion for that, valued it so much to have it, you know, later on in life. Now, I had great parents, um, but they were, they were divorced at a very young age, and they did work very much as a team, but we weren't a family unit. So when you do have that, it becomes precious to you. And so you don't take it for granted. And so having that, having the value of your mom, you know, and um, in your life, you want that for other people. You yeah. Know? And so... Anything we can do, you know, I, I feel that the best employees are, have a balanced life. I, I really, it's struggle, it's tough to see people who don't live a balanced life, yeah. like they, they're, they're pursuing something in their career mm -hmm. that, um, you know, probably isn't long lasting. So we talk about, listen, you know, no one's going to say on your gravestone you're a great service technician. It's <laughs> not going to sit there and say you're an amazing engineer, you know, or this guy designed this HVAC system. Or, yeah. so, so you just, yeah, you, you want to keep it balanced. And that, that can be hard, you know. I feel like that's where I'm struggling right now with, like, trying to find that balance of running a business mm -hmm. and growing a business. Mm -hmm. But then also trying to be like, hey, you have a life outside of that. Sure, sure. Yeah, because you're nuts. You know, <laughs> I mean, you... Uh, Where do you uh, think I get that from? Well, yeah, it, it, it's you are very competitive. Um, and you're constantly, you know, we've talked about this. You know, it's... it's um, I remember we do a lot of personality profiling at work and stuff. I remember the consultants coming into our office and a guy's in my office and I have a picture of Mount Washington and Cannon Mountain on my office wall and guy guy reads my profile. He goes, ah, you know, I bet you I can tell you, uh, I bet you I can tell you what you do when you 
climb to the top of these mountains. Like, and I'm like, yeah, what do you think? And he goes, you're looking for another mountain that's a little higher. And it's like, and, and you very much have that same uh, drive in you, you know, and, uh, and it is, it takes discipline, you know, to, you know, for you, the work is stopping working and, and making time for family. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's hard for you. And, and when you have your own business, it's, you know, I can't even relate to that. Like I'm relating from, from a, a place that we have an owner. I work for a boss, you know, and, uh, you know, and, you know, the responsibility of an owner is even far greater than, than the responsibilities I have. Um, I have a paycheck that I get every week. My house is not tied to the financial success of the building and, and the, the business, you know, so there's different levels to being an owner that I don't understand. Yeah, but I think at the same time, like, you being, like, a president and managing a lot of people, like, that's a completely other thing, too, though, that, like, that has its own kind of, like, stress on it and stuff. Yeah, I'm it, sure. they're different. And so for us to see the way our structure is... Um, Businesses need two types of things to coexist at the same time. Um, I'm a strong believer that you have to have a great culture and good leadership and invest in people and um, treat people with respect and value education and, and, and um, excellence in execution, all those things. But also that has to exist at the same time is financial management mm -hmm. and that the the records and the uh, and the tracking of where you're making your money um, the the different businesses and the margins that you're making in different businesses and that accuracy um, takes away from having a feeling in the business mm -hmm. to more of a um, more of facts and you can speak to the facts yeah so in the context of what you're talking about dan and i make a great team and that he understands the financial side very well um we have a new controller that's on board she helps him out and uh she does an excellent job and they're a great team to give feedback to me so i can focus on the right areas of the business otherwise you're just working on gut feeling and your gut's going to deceive you you think so? Absolutely. Yeah, it can, it can help you at times to zero in on instinctively on some areas. But, you know, until you start tracking history and you start measuring things, you know, you, I've sat in a year and thought, man, it just doesn't feel like we're really busy right now. And you pull up historical data and we're having a better year now than we ever have. It's happened to me. I remember calling you being like, I feel like I don't have enough. And it's like... Yeah, because I've been delegating. Like, that's, like, the other part of it, too, is, like, once you start growing a team, like, yeah, you have different responsibilities and stuff, and you're focusing on different areas because you've let go of yeah. different areas. But then you bring up the financials, like you said, you let emotions out of it, and it's like, oh, we're doing better this year. Sure, sure. 
So we try to put the measurements in a lot of different areas, even, even on our estimating side. We, every Monday morning we get together, um, we go over the bids that we have out there, the status that we have, what we've booked, what we haven't booked. And it's kind of hilarious because when we lose one, we, you know, you'll hear some wise ass comments about something <laughs> and stuff like that. But then you start getting the historical data and you start saying, you know, these are good clients. Cause you might even tell yourself that these are great customers and, and it's like, well, what makes them a great customer? Mm. Are you, are you doing a lot of volume with them or, you know, are you profitable with them? Um, what does it cost you to operate with them? Yeah. And so... And then, in all fairness, to treat your employees right, you never want to be really working on feelings about it. It's like yeah. you can speak to the facts. And so so when we're talking about leadership, yeah, there's those two sides, and they both have to coexist for a business to be successful. I don't, I don't think I could imagine a business being really successful without really having good financial management. I kind of... Yeah. I kind of admire that a lot because I'm not great at it. Like, I'm good to speak to the numbers, but to track and to collect and understand the processes is not something that I don't have a lot of interest in. Yeah. But I like the results. Yeah. <laughs> I, really I, like, I like the I benefits of it. No, I feel like I'm kind of similar too. It's like, I think you also have to have like some kind of certain understanding to a level in the different areas. So. Mm-hmm that you're not just relying on someone else so you can understand it, but then Absolutely. having someone specialize in it so that that's not your responsibility at the end of the day. Absolutely. You, you have to be skilled in at least beyond the basics of right. it. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing that Mike's kind of taught me too with like starting my business and running it. It's like, if you want someone else to do something, if you want to hire someone to do something, trying to figure it out first so you have an understanding of it so that when you do hire someone you have some measure of how are they doing at that job like how is that role because if you're just handing that off how are you equating that to sure, sure. you know what's happening there what I, i'm curious like what kind of got you into learning more about leadership and being so passionate about it wow um so i don't think i've ever asked you that before no i, I would say you know, if you go way back, both my parents were in roles of leadership. So, yeah. um, my mother, Grammy, she was she was uh, the head of a floor, uh, the orthopedic floor. She was an RN who who rose to the supervisor over at Bay State. Um, and you know, Grampy, he was the head of the grounds at Mass Mass Mutual. So, both um, both really good leaders. You know, my dad was a football coach and, you know, sports and all of that. And and be honest with you, I never really saw myself as a good leader. I, in fact, I, I suffered a lot in high school from some real heavy-duty insecurities and, and things like that that went along. Um, you know, like, like I said, I, you know, when, when we were in high school and I had... Um, 220 kids in my class I graduated like 195 yeah. you know I was down there and um, so it took me you know through your mom figuring out why that was you know um, for people who don't know your, your mom um, went to school for 
for education and framing him, you know, and, and her being, uh, you know, really trained in special ed. That was perfect marriage, right? <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah. for us. Perfect hey, for you and me. Dyslexia. <laughs> so, um, well, she was the one that pulled me aside. She, I think it was her freshman year in college. And she goes, hey, uh, we were out on a date. And she goes, I want to do a test. On you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, That sounds okay. like mom. And but it was it was important for me because back then it was like I I honestly felt I wasn't very smart and so there's insecurities that came from that and um, she was like no you got a learning disability mm. that's why you understand these things mechanically but when you get into reading books and things along that line yeah so getting back to the leadership thing it it was it was through there like. You know, I, I felt like I excelled once I got into a trade. Mm. And it was it was the weirdest thing. And I, and I can equate it back to something that happened to me in a football experience. I don't know how much time we got. But, um, <laughs> Go for it. But, um, but I would say that really the thing that got me into leadership was working with, at the church. And mm -hmm. um, where the two things coincided together where you're you you are strong on technical skills on, on these things you've come you've been exposed to some really good leaders that mm -hmm. you benefited from and that helped you advance not only personally with family and helped me work out um, some leadership things at home but they helped you advance in your career and then something flips in you where you say, I want to be that person to somebody else. Mm. And, and that's really what it is. It's, it, you know, it wasn't a pursuit of advancement for myself or really the money part of it never was a big motivating factor for me. I mean, money's good, but you know, it's not, it was never really a motivating factor. But I really get excited when I see people's careers advance. I think it's amazing. Yeah. To, to spend time with someone and you feel like you're a partner with them to help them advance. It's pretty cool. I mean, you even did that, though, when you coached us in soccer growing up. You could tell, like, no matter who on the team was doing what, you would get genuinely excited for the team and for everyone. And, like, if there was a girl that, you, like, the, you know, like, it kind of seemed like their parents were forcing them to do or something, you got them excited, or, like, you put them in a position where you thought that they would excel. It wasn't just the position that they wanted to do or they had always played in. You kind of moved people around and kind of shifted things where it's like, hey, I see this in you, and this is where you're going to excel in it. Sure. Yeah, that, that kind of goes back to... Um... You know, Grampy and being a, a kid playing football, you know, it was such a big part of shaping, um, you know, I think sports are real important to shaping people. You know, you get a chance to work within a team, um, rely on other people, um, have people rely on you, and and um, and then work hard to a common goal. We, we, we do well with a lot of athletes at work. You know, I, I kind of like that. Because they're all a little off. <laughs> yeah, we, we are a little off. But, you know, a, a, an early on experience that taught me this great, great lesson and um, was playing football. You know, it was, uh, you know, coach's son, right? And 
pretty good arm, things like that. And my dad had me as the quarterback. And the reality was I wasn't very good. I, I uh, was average. And pretty much everyone knew I was average, you know, but I was the coach's son, right? Even more importantly, you know, I knew I was average. Mm. And so, you know, and when you're not helping the team move forward, it, it, it's kind of, it, it, you know it. Well, I think that makes you insecure. When you know you're like that person that people are like, mm, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's just, it's just, a, um, and then something happened. It was, it was my sophomore year in high school. Um, I actually went into the coach's locker room and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be moved to a different position. And, you know, there was, it was kind of, it was kind of a low point. I remember the coach going, hearing one of the coaches say, you know, Cushman doesn't have enough class to be a quarterback anyway. So it was Oof. like devastating. I heard it from around the corner in the locker room. And so you had these depth charts and they would post them publicly. So you have like the first team, second team and third team. And then, and you're, you're identified by this little washer with your name on it and they had nails that they would hook it up. And then there was a group of nails at the bottom, and my name was down all the way at the it bottom. It wasn't even on the list. It was on the first three team lists. So I'm like, ah. Uh. And then, um, you know, I just got into this position that I really loved, which was playing receiver, you know, and, and uh, could catch balls. And before you know it, it was, uh, I was really doing well in practice. And I was warming up the starting quarterback, and you know, in just one situation after another. And before you know it, and I'm not trying to relive my glory days here <laughs> with this, but the reality is there's a real good lesson here. It was um, maybe two, three games into the season, and I was on the starting team. And what I learned from that lesson was that the importance of putting people in positions to succeed. Because it wasn't that I, was, I loved football, wasn't that I wasn't a good football player. I was just playing the wrong position. Mm. And, um, and so I think that when people can realize those things that where they're a good fit and where they have a passion and leaders can put people in to look at people for who they are, not what they're not, mm -hmm. then you set people up for success. And so we're, you know, that's really important to me. How do you find where people excel and where you, they should be putting them? Wow. <laughs> Again, um, that can go down for a long time. So we changed our hiring strategy probably about seven, eight years ago now. I keep saying seven, eight years every year, so it's probably it was like 10 years ago. But I had read an article from Warren Buffett, and it was about um, overcoming the frustrations working with talented people. So in the beginning, when I was recruiting people and bringing them on board, my focus was getting the most talented people and bringing them on board. Mm -hmm. and, and it kind of makes sense, right? You'd sit there and go, I want the most talented people. Yeah. Well, according to Buffett, talent was number four on his list of priorities. Um, number one was character. Mm -hmm. Number two is intelligence. And number three was energy drive. And he kind of makes a joke. He goes, if you don't have the first one, the next two will kill you. Mm. 
And the reality is we had a lot of drama um, with talented people um, because some of them didn't have character. And, um, and, and it was, and drama can be, can really bog an organization down. And so the first thing we do to answer your question and finding and, and putting people in the right positions is start with character, 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 you know? And um, that took a long time and uh, recruiting, buying people in, and then trying to maintain a culture of character, you know, because when, you know, you're, you know, there's two things here. We started Kleberg Mechanical was ground up, which was really something that, there's two different challenges. You got to start a business from the ground up, and then you had Kleber Chima, which was an, uh, an existing business that they asked, asked me to come over and be the leader for. And that's more of a, you're turning around the culture. Mm. So, yeah, you, you know, we start with character, and, um, and then we do do personality profiles, you know, because certain jobs have a profile that kind of, kind of fit you know we follow the disc program you know and so you'll find a lot of your engineers and you know virtual design people tend to fall into a C category some of your sales people are I category and your project managers are high D's you know they kind of they kind of herd together a little bit but mm -hmm. yeah how do you discern someone's character like what are the mm. traits that you see from that it takes a long time it's um we do it as a team. Um, it's not like you're walking in and judging someone, but in the interview process, we very rarely have one interview. We usually have about three. Okay. And so what I look for is people that have kind of, we call it, a, we run our company on a flat level. Um, and so I'd have to explain the differences between the two, the flat versus an incline. I believe there's two kinds of people in this world. I believe there's people that look at themselves on an incline and I look at people that look at themselves on a flat plane. And the differences between the two is the people that see themselves on an incline, they look at it as kind of a ladder, a corporate ladder, mm. and they project themselves somewhere on that ladder. And how they communicate to the people that's above them is different than how they communicate to the people that are mm. below them. So if they're talking to the owner of the business, they'd be communicating one way, yeah. projecting a certain type. And if they're talking to the janitor or the guy who is, uh, you know, running the warehouse out back, they communicate a different, they see a different side to them. What we look for is people that look at themselves and it's what we're talking about is humility. Mm. They would talk to the owner of our company and the janitor on, in the same tone, fashion and everything. So through the interviewing process, you can pick up things like that. So, um, you know, a lot of times we are recruiting people who are athletes and stuff. And, you know, I had a situation where I remember um, it was a red flag that came up on a guy. Um, he was a captain of his soccer team. And, you know, so, you know, you just start asking questions. And I, I typically don't have a script. I just ask questions, you know, and mm -hmm. we start going down these little rabbit holes. So, you know, he was a captain of the team, and I said, so how do you like being a captain? He goes, oh, I loved it, you know. And um, Did he have captain on his resume? 
Uh, did you ask him? Like, I think I, no, I think I got down to that. You know, hey, you know, you play soccer, what position you play, you know, did you score a, funny, a lot? It's kind of a funny thing to be like, oh, I was captain. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think I've ever seen that one on a resume. <laughs> um, but I did, you know, when I saw it, I was like, uh, you know, it, when I talked to him, I, I found out he was a captain. Okay. So I said, what did you like being about a captain? What, what did you, and he, and he goes, I like being in charge of people. And so, and it kind of slipped through and he was with a team of people. We had a team interviewing him and it was, um, and, and the person that was recruiting this individual said, I really like him, I wanna hire him. And I said, okay, that's fine. Cause I don't micromanage our people. I try not to. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, okay, if you, if you feel be on board. You know, I was asked, what do you think? And I was like, oh, I saw a little red flag there. And this is what I saw. And we, we decided it was worth the risk, right? Okay. What position were you hiring for? It was an assistant PM position. Okay. You know, so, um, you know, really wasn't leading people at the time or anything. But it did show that the character came through. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like that. But, you know, in deeper things, we'll, you know, I'll do things like we'll, we'll, We'll meet informally at a restaurant. I want to know how you're inter, you know, interacting. Most of the questions are just, they're just questions. Yeah. I'm watching your behavior more yeah, than like anything. Yeah, like how else. you treat the waiter and like the hostess when you walk in. Like, sure. Yeah. Sure. I even I I got a deal with our receptionist before. It was like, listen, someone shows up, we're gonna make them wait out front for five minutes. Yep. You know. We've had people smoking out on our patio, yelling at their wives on the phones. You know, how do they interact with you? And I'll have a conversation with, you know, um, the front office. And I'll go, how was the behavior up in the front lobby before I came up? You know, I'm looking for consistency. Um, You know, I'm not looking for a personality type. I'm just looking for humility and and honesty. Yeah. You know, people look at humility as as a, you know, you know, a lowly kind of person, uh, but it's not. The definition of humility is that you you view yourself on an equal plane with everybody, yeah. you know, because there's dangers to, you know, the person who's sucking up to the owner and, mm-hmm. or the person who's talking down to, you know, someone who has a lower level of responsibility. Yeah. I mean, we even had this, uh, I think this was last year, um, our rep for a tile company left. And so it was like the VP of sales or something was our interim rep and we still had her on the sheet and I was asking one of the girls on the team to email to get samples. Mm-hmm. And it had been like a couple of different projects or whatever and I, at one point she had sent me our new rep's information and I forgot to put it into our spreadsheet and so I still had, you know, we still had the VP of sales, you know, as our rep there. And one of the girls on our team emailed her and apparently she called her up and just totally was like, why are you calling me? I'm not the person like, and totally just ripped her apart for no reason. Like it's such a careless mistake, like especially just asking for samples for a project. Like, is that really such a big deal? And I remember the girl on my team texted me, told me what happened and I was pissed. I was pissed and I was fuming and I, I was actually about to go um, bring Kona for a walk and I was like, all right, 
I'm going to go walk around the block with him, cool off a little bit. I'm going to call her and I'm going to talk to her. By the time I get back, I have an email in my inbox, CCing the girl on my team and the new rep. And it was this lovely email about, hi, Hannah, I'm so sorry. I think there was some, you know, miscommunication. This is your new rep. Like, let me know if you need anything. It was this very nice email. And I looked at that and I was like, first off, you're a coward because you're going to talk to someone on the team, even though her title says assistant, you're going to talk to her a completely different way than you're going to talk to me. And I told the girl on my team, I was like, we're not working with them again. I refuse, like, I'm not, I'm not turning to that company. Like, I'm not going to work with someone who's going to treat one of the girls on my team. Cause I just like, that's just so sure. uncalled for. Yeah. No, and it's important for your team to see that you have their backs, you know, and, um, that's, you know, it's, we all lose it at, at, at sure. some time. But at least just apologize. Like that to me, mm -hmm. it's like, and you say, you say this all the time. It's like just taking accountability for stuff. And it's like, I know there's been times where I've messed up and I've, you know, talked to the girls and been like, Hey, like I shouldn't have done that. Like I'm, I was out of line, you know, like I shouldn't have reacted that way. Like, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Or like it, and it's just like, just having that humility that like, goes back. It's like people respect you way more even if, like, we're all human, we're all going to make mistakes, but it's what you do with those mistakes that really matter to people. Yeah, you hit it there, huh? So that that's one of the things that I believe is something that um, that we, we, we talk about on our team quite a bit, and it, it's what you do about your mistakes, right? Yeah, yeah. So, this is a <laughs> oh, the saying... <laughs> Lots of sayings in the family, no, so... No, but, um, no, go for it, because this, when you tell me this, I'm like, I, it's a big eye roll, but then it definitely, it definitely hits home. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's like, and, and we can get a little crazy about it, but I, but I honest, I, I believe this with all my heart, is, it's not, it's not if you make a mistake, or, because you definitely want to minimize your mistakes. You want to have a quality company. But I do tell the team, get excited when something's hitting the fan. Like when we make, when we make a mistake or, or when there is a failure um, that breaks down, that's going to reveal the character. Yeah. And so that's your opportunity to show your customers that you're different than everybody else. And it's like, I get excited. It's like, we want to, that's our opportunity to respond and show our clients our true character. So you could, you, you know, you see plenty of businesses looking for an angle to, to cut a corner or to get out of a contract or something like that. And I'm sitting there going, run into the fire, run, run to the client, take accountability for it, clean the mess up. Don't even talk about the money aspect of it. Fix the problem. Resolve the problem. Show up. And it's like I, I get really intense about it because when you show up and, and we, we have I got a guy that I work with, Dave Martin, he talks about it all the time. You got to show up. And it's kind of like for him, it's like he was a little bit of a scrapper when he was a kid, <laughs> you know, and it was like you got to show up, you know. And we, but we talk about that at work. You got to show up. And, and, and so... 
it separates you. It's so easy to be great when things are going great. Mm. It's when things hit the fan is, can you be great when things are hitting the fan? That shows character. And that's a business that I consider a high-performing business that has customers, partnerships for a long, long time. And, um, you know, that that's a big passion of mine. Now, I can't do that. Again, it's great to be the cheerleader, the coach, and the mentor, <laughs> but I can't do that unless I have ownerships backing on that. So it's like, I'm the president of the company, but I don't own the company. So... Danny owns the bus. He lets me drive it, right? <laughs> but if he if he turned around and 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 he said he has never ever ever asked me to do something that's out of character. Yeah. That it's amazing to work for a guy like that. Yeah. You know, so you you, you just kind of you know you just do the right thing in the moment, and you and you do that. You you you. you uh, and I think revealing that to your team and it's like they're hiding mistakes can cost a business a lot of a lot of money too. Mm-hmm. You know. So if someone ignores something, they see a mistake and they try to sweep it under the table, it'll it'll cost you, it'll cost you in, in um your your trust bank account with a client. Sure. Um and then it just costs you financially more to fix it. So people will run when you when you have that culture of, you know, showing up and doing the right thing for the mistakes. I think, it, I think, you're more willing to talk about those things earlier on mm-hmm. in in the cycle of, of doing business with a client. But I I do think too, like you were saying, like mm-hmm. I think it just builds trust with people. Like there's been, you know, in every project, like. You know, I run into this where I want everything to be perfect. And I think for a long time I was like, everything, nothing can go wrong. It's stressful. It's stressful trying to keep up that perfection. And it's just, it's not reality. And mm-hmm. there's things outside of your control that are going to happen. You know, there's a delivery that's going to mishap or something's going to be damaged or, you know, someone's not going to communicate anything properly. But it's kind of going back to, I almost feel like it shows clients more character when things go wrong. Because then when something does happen and you take accountability for something, that might honestly not be your fault. But it's like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to cover this. Like, I'm, I'm going to get this. Like, you know, it's to them, it's like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, things were down. But that just shows them, like, you're there for them. And, sure. And that, that I think, is huge for any client because, you know, we're in the service-based industry. Exactly. I had an interesting um, situation you got time to talk about this? Can we talk yes, about it? Yes, okay. Had an interesting situation. <laughs> I'm on your that. time. Okay. Um, with a customer. It was really interesting because this customer um, was using a piece of equipment where they had a national account. And this is a very large company that has multiple national sites. So the site we were on probably was about 500,000 square foot facility, good size facility. And they had problems with their piece of equipment. And so. A lot of problems so our role in that was the contractor so we were working for a construction manager we did the mechanical work and then we subcontracted out uh, an equipment supplier that was that was bullet spec you know they're they're mm-hmm. they're they're the standard of um, construction for them nationally and the machine was failing so they called us in there 
and um, multiple failures. And you know, you're listening and you're in the situation. And at the end, we had a plan together to fix the problem. And the client asked one thing of the equipment manufacturer. And it was, last time our machine went down, it took you five days to show up and fix it. We have a national account with you. That's a commitment to you. Can we get you to show up in a shorter period of time? Because it costs us a lot of money for there's a lab to be down, sure. right? And the rep, the Northeast rep said, I can't make that commitment. And I was sitting there, I'm like going, this is insane. Now we have our own service department mm -hmm. that, that though it doesn't fall underneath our level of responsibility for this project, but that was my vendor. And so in the moment, you know, the guy goes, I don't have that level of authority and I can't make any promises. So the room went dead silent and I just went, I do have that level of authority with my company and we'll be here in less than 24 hours. Now that's going to be on our dime if we have to show up. Mm -hmm. But we chose to carry that vendor. We could have had a gray area and said, said, well, you know, you're the guys who specified these guys. We really didn't have to carry them. But the reality is we carried the contract for the HVAC side on that, and they were working for us. We were paying them. And, and those are the kind of examples, you know, in the moment, it's like we're going to show up for our customers. So, yeah, could we have found a gray air? Could I, have been, I could have just been quiet yeah. in that meeting. But that's not the kind of organization I want to be a part of. And quite frankly, if I wasn't in the room, my team is a lot stronger character than myself, I think. <laughs> they want to do the right thing in the moment. So they hold you accountable to mm -hmm. be in that kind of organization. Yeah. So. That's cool. Yes. I know. I remember the first time you told me about that. Like, I love when things go wrong. <laughs> and I'm like on the phone with you. I'm like pissed about something. I'm like, screw you. Like. Yeah. Tony Robbins, <laughs> go away. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but now, no, I think about it all the time when something goes wrong. I think it, it kind of also shifts your mentality too of like panicking, like something's wrong to more like, how do I figure out a solution? Without a doubt. I think you said the word panic there. So I think one of the first things you've got to do when things are, you know, cause it'll, it'll hit the fan fast and it's like blindside is don't panic. And it's like slow, slow, slow everything down watch what's going on, and then start developing a plan. But the first part of the plan is let's gather ourselves. Let's, let's breathe a little bit, absorb the moment and stuff, and, uh, and then start working the plan. That's it. That's it. So what else you got? I don't know. I think that was pretty good. First podcast, huh? Okay. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Love you. I love you. Want to go to Costco? <laughs> this podcast is just starting out, so I would love if you could rate and review this on whatever platform you use podcasts on. And also check out our Instagram. All of our social media is lawless underscore design, and our website is lawless design if you want to contact us and work together on an interior design project.